0: The first reading today is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 17 to 26. You can follow along on the screen in the leaflet and also in the church Bibles. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toil and labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, And then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless a chasing after the wind. The second reading is taken from Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 22 to 24. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving.
1: You'll find an outline of what I'm going to say uh, in the handouts that you should have received. We've been looking uh, at a series out of the book of Ecclesiastes called Chasing Life. The whole idea that binds this series together is that all of us really are searching for the good life. No one wants to live a life that you turn around at the end of it and go, what a a complete waste that was. We wanna have a life of substance, a life of meaning, of purpose and value. And I'd like to suggest that if you have a life of meaning and purpose and value, it will probably also be a life that you enjoy, a life that gives satisfaction, now, this quest isn't something that is just for us in the here and the now. Uh, our partner in the quest has been uh, the teacher from the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, he's a happy guy. Uh, he's not coming to the, uh, the lunches together, so you're not going to have to sit there and have him whinge about your dinner. But he seems to be whinging about most other things, doesn't he? We read about his quest in chapter 2, verse 3. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their life. Now, what's the one word that characterizes the teacher's uh, appraisal of this? Anyone? Hevel, yes. It is a, a pretty stark appraisal that the teacher gives us, but it is interesting to think that the issues that they looked at, that he explored, are the same issues that we explore today. So we have a destination and that destination is the good life and we walk different roads thinking that they lead us to the right destination. And so whether that's sex and pleasure and relationships or power or wisdom or today, we're actually looking at work and its fruit. We're looking at work and money particularly, but also the things that come along with work, whether that be status or power or control. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the money and the other stuff, mainly work, because that's the path that we take to get it. Now, if you are chasing the good life through work, the kind of ideas that are going through your head, the kind of little mantra that you're saying to yourself is something along the lines of, if I get the right job with the right benefits, it will give life meaning and purpose, okay? Maybe that's a future thing for you. You're studying, you're at school, you're at uni, you're at TAFE. You're looking forward and you're hoping that that right job will come for you. Maybe you're climbing the ladder. You've just started out and you're kind of eyeing the positions a couple up or maybe somewhere else in another company. Maybe you're actually thinking, actually, I'm going to pour myself into investing into the community and do volunteer stuff to get that meaning and purpose. And you've got this idea That if you can get the right role, that has the right payoffs, it will actually give you a life of meaning and purpose. And can I say there are some here who are part of a generation that really take that on board. My generation, it was all about the bottom line. It was money. That's what people wanted. Uh, And they solely evaluated the job that they wanted to go into. Well, not solely, but predominantly, it was all about the money. I came from the greed is good, you know, Gordon Gecko kind of world. Uh, And people would go into things like that. Slightly younger than me, there's a few of you out there. um, I'm in my Um, (laughs) mid-20s. Position yourself where you will. Um, you want a life, you want a meaning, you want a job that just captures who you are and you're looking for that job. And so the Gen Y and the millennials, uh, you're out there and employers find it really hard to keep you motivated because you get sort of six months into a job and you kind of go, oh, it's not really me. And so you, you move on and you go to the next one and go to the next one and go. Each of us have different challenges But we all have the thing that says if I can find the right job with the right payoff, whatever that is, whether it's paycheck or lifestyle or status or power, with the right payoff, then I will have a life of meaning and purpose. Now, most of us, if we've been around the book of Ecclesiastes for more than about two minutes... Will know that the teacher will be fairly cynical about your capacity to actually find that. So let's take it down out of the lofty goal and let's ask is it actually possible to have meaning and purpose in our work? And we're going to consider that really under four headings. One is creatively work, the next one, all work and no rest, the third one, looking at resting in the finished work of Christ, and lastly, how that transforms our work. Okay, let's kick off. Work. For those of you who work, whether you work at home, uh, chasing around after kids, doing all that kind of stuff, whether you work in the community and volunteer sort of stuff, whether you work uh, at school, at TAFE, at uni, whether you work in the paid employment, you know, working nine to five or... 7.30 to 6.30 or whatever it is that you do, I want you to come up with a number out of 10, where 10 is wonderfully happy, perfectly fulfilled, everything is going great, could not imagine life could get better. My work is doing great things for me. Zero, well, you're at the other end of the scale, okay? I want you to have that number in mind. We're going to come back to that, okay? What does the Bible actually teach us about work? Now, two years ago, I preached a four-week series on work. If you want to know more, just fill out on the Everything card and we can burn those CDs off and you can have that. But in a brief recap, what the Bible teaches about work cuts across what our society says about work in a really radical way. Because our society says a couple of things about work. Work is uh, something you do to get the money so you can do the stuff that you really want to do. That's the kind of mantra that's out there on one half, isn't it? Work is all about getting the money so you can go on the holiday. Getting the money so you can invest in the house or the boat or the beach house or the whatever. Work is the necessary evil that you have to do. That's one thing. Another thing is, actually, no, 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 work is where I get my meaning and my purpose in life. Guys may be a little bit more prone to this one than girls, but not exclusively so. What's the second question you ask a, new, a person that you're meeting for the first time? First one is, what's your name? Second one is, what do you do with yourself? We tie so much value into it. Talk to a mum or a dad who's given up paid employment to look after the kids and the whole adjustment in their own self-worth that they make as they step out of paid employment because somehow we see this as less desirable, less status, less worth. Can I say the Bible doesn't say that? The Bible doesn't make a distinction between paid work and unpaid work. And the Bible tells us that work is good. Genesis 2, God creates, so God is a worker and he creates humanity and in 2.15 we read this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, you know that's paradox, to work it and take care of it. Work is tied up with our basic human nature and it is a good gift. Dorothy Sayers says it like this, What is the Christian understanding of work? Work is the natural exercise and function of man. She wrote before you had to be PC. So, ladies, this is you too. The creature who is made in the image of his creator. Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but rather the thing that one lives to do. We are workers by nature. It is actually built into us as the God who made us works, so we also work. And our work is to take the raw materials of creation and to rearrange them to bring human flourishing. Explore that a little bit more in that series if you are interested. But think about that number. If that's all going well for you, and if the Bible is right... Every single person here should have 10 in their head. Yes? Now, I'm not brave enough to ask, but did anyone have 10? There's not one hand up. There is not one hand up. Work is a a mixed beast for us, isn't it? The Bible tells us it should be good. It should be a blessing. And because it is so tied up in our nature and something else is going on and we will explore that, it really leads us astray. By a, a guy by the name of Robert Bella says this, he says, however we define work, it is very close to our sense of self. What we do often translates into what we are. And because what we do and what we are are so bound together, work has the potential to do great good or great harm to us. So why do we find it so hard? Maybe you don't think you find it so hard. Let me give you a summary of a report I read by the Australia Institute 2014. Australia Institute are a think tank across in Canberra. Uh, They looked at overwork. Now, legislation tells us that 38 hours a week is our working week, yes? Yes. Okay, the average Australian works 42.8 hours if they're in full-time employment. Uh, they give six hours on average of unpaid overtime every week, which amounts to just under $10,000 donated by you to your employers on average every single year. 15% of the hours that are worked within the Australian workforce are unpaid. And so if you took that 15% and gave them to the unemployed we would have a 0% unemployment rate, okay? Uh, We have a society which pushes work so hard, pushes work so hard, because it has bought the line that if we have more stuff, life will be better. What do our politicians tell us? Economic growth is the great good, yes? Yes. Okay, here's a a graph. It's, um, It's from the UK, but I don't imagine Australia would be different. The climbing line is GDP per capita, and you can see that that's improved, okay, over 1973 to 2013. The bottom line is life satisfaction. What does this tell us about the connection between how much stuff you've got, how much money is in the bank, and whether you're actually enjoying life? it tells us that they have nothing to do with each other. And the interesting thing is, I think the little dip in GDP per capita is the world, the global financial crisis. And look at wellbeing at the same time. It spikes upwards. So it actually tells us that the money and the, all the stuff that we think is so important actually isn't doing it for us. Australia Institute Health Impacts. Obesity, cardiovascular disease, alcohol and substance abuse, anxiety, depression, sleep disturbance. We're pursuing the work thing so much, it's actually killing us. Now, Michael Lunig, if he was a, an ancient Jew, he could have written the, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. He's got a lot in common, I think. Here he is. Ah, yes, one says to the other, the economy has never been healthier. And the drugs needed to cope with it have never been more affordable. (laughs) Cynical. But wow. Not only are we suffering the negative impacts of getting the work thing wrong on a health level, we get it wrong on relationships. 75% of people uh, surveyed said if they could spend more time with friends and family, life would be better but work gets in the way. We recognise that it's actually not work and money that is the path to the good life, but we can't control it. We recognise that living in communities are a good thing, but what's actually happened as our free time has shrunk because our work has expanded. We start seeing the community as a threat because I've only got a small amount of free time and that community is going to want stuff from me, so I need to keep them at arm's length. The very things that actually give us meaning and value and purpose, the relationships we have with one another, are being pushed aside because work trumps it. And can I say, two and a half thousand plus years ago, It was exactly the same. The teacher looks at it. I don't have stats on the average average hours worked, but I imagine it was much more than what we do. But the teacher, he looks at work and says, can work deliver? Can work and the stuff it gets for us give us the good life? Tom read it for us. I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after wind. That word meaningless translates the Hebrew word hevel, which we've got to remember is not just meaningless, but the idea of like a mist or a vapour transient. So it's here today, gone tomorrow. It lacks substance. And he says work cannot deliver. Why? Well, there you have it in verse 18. I hated the things I toiled for under the sun because I've got to leave them to the one that comes after me. Kids, take note. Who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, but they have control over all the fruit of my toil for which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. My heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor. A person may labor with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What he's actually saying is you don't know that the people who come after you, who get to use all the stuff that you've worked so hard for, you don't know whether they're going to be a complete idiot. You know, Solomon is set up as the author of uh, Ecclesiastes. If you know your history, do you know what his son did? Dad gave him a kingdom... 12 tribes of Israel. Rehoboam, one stupid decision, 10 of them gone. Don't know whether the people coming after you are going to be stupid. The teacher despairs, but that's only one. He gives us four more. He says, what do people get for all their toil and anxious striving at which they labor under the sun? Their days, their work is grief and pain. Amen. (laughs) And even at night. Their minds do not rest. Our work binds us up. And so often it's motivated, he says, not by the best motives. Verse 4, chapter 4. I saw that all toil and achievements spring from one person's envy of another. You know, they've actually shown that people would prefer to earn $70,000 a year in an environment where the average is fifty. dollars Than $100,000 a year when in an environment where the average is 150. And you go, how does that work? Because it's actually about me having more than you. I'm actually happy driving my Hyundai if you're all driving, you know, Mirages or something like that, you know? But if you're driving Lexus and I'm driving my Hyundai, I'm there going, oh, I don't like this. I've got to get a better car. I've got to to look good. And, And we feel this, don't we? You know? I'm happy, you know, all you guys were happy with your shirts that you wore this morning until you saw mine, didn't you? (laughs) Yes? Yeah, and now you're going and you go, I've got to get a better shirt than Cameron. I've got to get a louder shirt, one that's a bit more outrageous. Okay, next week we'll have a competition, guys. Loud shirt day, okay? We'll see how we go. But Ecclesiastes, this guy writing centuries BC, is saying... What we see today is nothing new. And he goes on. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. I think it was Rockefeller was asked, how much is enough? Now, this man was obscenely welcome. uh, Well, welcome. Wealthy. Do you know what he said? How much is enough? Just a little bit more. That little bit more would have made no difference but he was not happy. This too is meaningless. Or as goods increase, so do those who consume them. What benefit are they to their owners except to feast their eyes on them? Do you know people who own five, six, seven, eight cars? Mostly you can only drive one at any given time. You know, then maybe there's a couple more drivers in the house. Maybe you can get away with two, maybe three. But after a while you sit there and go, really? How many do you need? How many do you need? There is nothing new under the sun. And then lastly, in case you're thinking, oh, well, I've ducked all these ones, verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 11. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Hevel. Transient work frustration how do we put these together how do we get this idea that work is good that we're made for work but it's so frustrating and goes so wrong as ecclesiastes tells us well the answer's in genesis chapter three humankind rejected god adam and eve felt that god was sort of cramping their style and chose to supplant him not that you could and they came under God's judgment there it is in verse 17 to 19 one of the aspects of the judgment that God brought to bear was that the cursed is the ground because of you he says through painful toil it used to be they used to eat through toil now it's painful toil You eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. You try and grow fruit and flowers, you get thorns and thistles, and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat of your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. The Bible tells us that this hevel, this frustration, That Ecclesiastes captures so brilliantly is actually a part of God's judgment on human sin. Barry Webb says it like this He says, Hevel is a judgment, a condition imposed upon the world and on human beings in particular by God. It's a manifestation of the fall and positively of God's rule as creator and judge. He has brought that judgment to bear. And so our frustration with work is quite normal. It's to be expected because this is the way God has actually done it. What can we do? We look for so much out of our work and its fruit, but it can't take the weight. We work under the sun, we look for meaning and purpose and satisfaction But we get to a stage of our lives, sometimes very early, where we actually realize it's not delivering. So we work harder and we see what we can do. And we get like Clive Hamilton. He says, instead of our growing our wealth, freeing our growing wealth, freeing us from our materialist preoccupations, they used to think that humanity would get to a point in this kind of economic utopia where we would have enough. And we'd all just kick back and enjoy life. Is that how it feels? People in affluent countries now are even more obsessed with their money and material acquisition. And the richer they are, so in other words, the less need they have, the more this seems to be the case. We can become slaves, slaves to our work and its fruit, or... We can end up where Leonard Wolfe, you know, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. This is Mr. Wolfe, okay, who was a publisher and political theorist, founder of the Bloomsbury Group, wrote 20 books on literature, politics and economics and yet in 1998 declared this conclusion. I see clearly that I have achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of the human anthill during the past five to seven years would be exactly the same as if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books and memoranda. I have therefore to make a rather ignominious confession that I must have in a long life ground through between 150,000 and 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work. Despair. Teachers, every fact that you teach will be forgotten. Doctors, every patient that you cure will die. Builders, every house that you build will either fall over or be knocked over. Plumbers, every drain that you unblock will reblock. Parents, every chaos that you clean up very, very quickly will actually become chaotic again. You get the idea. There is an element where we have to look at our work. I have trouble remembering what I preached a day after I preach it. Hopefully you do better than I do. No. But anyway, there's a point where we actually have to acknowledge there is a futility to our work. But is that where we end up? Just going, it means nothing, but I've got to do it. Well obviously the answer is no and the answer is Christ. We find it resting not in our work, in our achievements but in his work and his achievements. In John 17, Jesus is praying and he says, I have brought you, this is to the Father, glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus is a worker as his Father is a worker and his work is to unravel the mess that we have made. His work is to take the judgment that fell in Genesis 3 and drink it dry. His work is to take the frustration and pain and bring it into himself and bring a hope to this creation and to us. His work of atonement is on the cross And from the grave. And his work gives us an identity. An identity that can never be taken from us. That we can never be retrenched from. That we can never lose through retirement and disability. His work gives us an identity as children of God. His work gives us a security that can never be taken from us. No global financial crisis can touch it. Because he promises that if our faith is in him, he will never leave us or forsake us. His work gives us wealth that will last beyond the grave. As we are blessed, as Ephesians 1 tells us, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not from our hands, but from his hands. Not our work But his work. And after the Lord Jesus uttered those words, it is finished, he died, was buried, rose again, and sat down at his Father's side. There is nothing more that needs to be done, and that is offered to us freely by grace. Our wealth cannot buy this riches. Our job cannot offer this security. Our role cannot give this identity. It's offered freely. Isaiah 55 captures the invitation Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why? Because he has paid for it. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. It's offered on the basis of what he has done. And we're not just talking about, you know, pie in the sky. Oh, well, that's good. That's heaven. That's okay. How does this actually come back and transform our work? What was the question we started with? Is it possible to have a work, work that has purpose and satisfaction? Or are we stuck where Ecclesiastes left us in this land of why bother? It's all just a waste of time we can find satisfaction and Ecclesiastes doesn't leave us exactly there. Chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. The teacher says a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. And where does this satisfaction come from? Hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? The writer of Ecclesiastes says your enjoyment of your work is actually separate from your work. It is a gift that comes from the hand of God. It's not something that we strive after and achieve. It is a gift that comes from the hand of God. So how? How does God give it? God gives it by putting work in its place as he is in his place. Work is no longer the one that we serve. He is no longer, it is no longer the one or the thing that we think is going to give us those things that we crave. We no longer look to our employment for security, for status, for power, for affirmation, because that is ours in Christ. And as work is taken off the throne and just put back as work, We are freed to enjoy it. Yes, the curse is still in effect. Yes, there are still thorns and thistles. We expect it, but we know this is not the final word. We can find satisfaction because that satisfaction comes from God. We can have purpose. Not that we work for the man and we build the company or the woman and build the company. We work for God. Colossians, speaking to slaves who had nothing to gain other than their master's well-being, he says, "'Work not only when their eye is on you "'to curry their favour with sincerity of heart "'and reverence for the Lord. "'Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart "'as working for the Lord, not for human masters. "'Since you know that you will receive an inheritance,' From the Lord. What you need will actually not come from your work. And as we work and as we actually see that our work is for the Lord, it actually has a purpose that is bigger than serving me and my ends or you and your ends. It's not about putting food on the table. It's about bringing glory to God. And you can do that in the most menial and unnoticed job, in the most exalted and high-flying job. You can do that as you work for the Lord. Jesus worked for his Father's glory, and so we can too. But you remember also that as we work for God, we work to bless others. The great commandments, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Your work it's a key way that you will bring blessing to others, that you will actually bring good things, not permanent things, not lasting things maybe, but you might if you bring them the gospel, but things that have value because they are in the image of God and they have value. Brothers and sisters, we can find satisfaction and purpose as we find that it is Christ's work that gives them. As we come towards an end, Ray Steadman, in a little sermon that he wrote called Life in the Fast Lane, says this, isn't it strange that the more you run after life, panting after every pleasure, the less you find. But the more you take life as a gift from God's hand, Responding in thankful gratitude for the delights of every moment. The more that seems to come to you. Brothers and sisters, as we see that the enjoyment of our work comes from God's hand, as we are thankful for him, as we are thankful for the status that comes to us through Christ, the security that is ours in him, the riches that he has lavished upon us, that we could be called children of God, as we find our foundation in him, as we see his blessing overflow in our work and through our work, we can find meaning and purpose. Apart from that, under the sun there are glimpses, but in Christ there is a true meaning and purpose. Let's pray. Father, we do ask, we ask that you would show us if we have set work up in your place. If we look to the things that our work does for us, whether the money it earns or the power, the status, the affirmation, the significance we give ourselves or other give to us because of the roles that we occupy. Father, let us see how hollow that is. That ultimately, anything that work offers will be taken, but everything that you offer is secure in eternity. Father, forgive us for where we have looked to our work and its fruits, for the things that can only come from you. Help us to see, help us to see that those things are freely offered to us through the perfect finished work of Christ. And Father, resting in that, let us find significance and purpose, knowing, Father, that our work is in your hands and trusting that you will use us for your glory and to bless others. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.